Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we welcome back Lama Kathy Wesley. And we're going to be talking today about handling change and uncertainty from a Buddhist point of view. Uh, for those of you that have not watched any of our previous interviews with Lama Kathy, she is, has been a student of Kempel Karta Rinpoche since 1977 and participated in the first three-year retreat led by Kempel Karta Rinpoche at Karmaling Retreat Center in upstate New York and thus earned the title of Retreat Lama. She now serves as a resident teacher at the Columbus KTC. So we're going to be welcoming her back in a minute after Michael has some announcements. Hi, everybody, and uh, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We keep adding subscribers. We're getting closer and closer to our first thousand, so we truly appreciate all of you that enjoy our show and have taken the time to subscribe and leave comments, so please do that. Um, visit our website. We've got all kinds of great shows coming up next month. Um, next week, of course, is um, Spell It Out, Krista's Free For All, where she'll talk about whatever Krista decides she wants to talk about. That'll be fun. Um, and then we've got a lot of Western esoteric stuff coming up in July. We have a return visit from Lon Milo Duquette, who I think a lot of you will be looking forward to. Our friend Chris, who's also very into Western esoteric stuff, will be joining us. And our friend Jacqueline, who's an amazing healer, and she's going to talk about her healing modalities. So we've got some really good, great shows coming up in July. Um, as always, you can get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, while you're on the website, if you want to buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi, it always helps us to cover our production cost a little bit. We definitely appreciate that. And then take a minute and also subscribe to our newsletter because we're going to be putting out a, a, a semi-annual newsletter with some of the links to some of our favorite shows and some other content that we find online. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe to that. And then we have one more very important announcement, which appertains to our host, Krista. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to And with that, take it away, Krista. <laughs> well, that was a surprise. My, my actual birthday was yesterday. <laughs> so thank you, Michael. Well, welcome, Lama Kathy. We're so happy to have you back. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. How are you folks doing in Ohio, though, with all the pandemic and the um, fight for justice for the African-Americans? And how are you doing there? Yeah, so uh, so far so good. Um, uh, the um, the I think as you know, uh, every state has a, a different uh, profile in terms of the the pandemic. And right now, things uh, have started. Uh, they were smooth and uh, plateaued for a while, but now there's an, a new uptick uh, that's just uh, taken place this week. And so um, everybody's uh, doing their best to you know to wear. Uh, mass and social distance, but, you know, it's really hard to get uh, a huge group of people like uh, human beings of any kind to do one thing and to help one another. It's uh, not an easy thing. Uh, but uh, also the city of Columbus, um, they've uh, had a lot of uh, good discussions uh, with uh, all of the communities of color and all of the people who are fighting for justice. And like anything else, there's a good start, but we have to keep uh, the um, we have to keep going, and we have to keep our energy up in order to make sure that uh, justice becomes uh, a, a continuing a continuously blooming flower. We can't just let something happen and and then make 
a tiny progress and then be satisfied with that. We have to figure out how to make that last. So it's, it's, uh, it's, we're having the same difficulties that others are having and trying to cope with and understand a change that's, I guess you could say completely and totally uh, out of our control, but there are parts of it that are under our control. And so we're trying to figure out which is which and do what we can where we can. So it's, well, that's, I think that, it's probably why, like what's going on there. <laughs> that's why we thought the topic of handling change, being that, you know, Buddhism is renowned for its uh, teaching on impermanence and, and how important that is in any Buddhist, whatever Buddhist you are, that it's a constantly changing world right now, in, even though it always is, in ways that are very shocking to us. And, and even though it can produce some wonderful results, particularly, I think, with the uprisings, it's still difficult. How do I work with this on a day-to-day basis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can really understand that because I think if, if we look at the teachings of Buddhism in general, uh, impermanence and the fact that things uh, are not ever the same that this moment that we're having right now, this moment we're in right now, uh, it's it, now is always a moment that has just passed. It's it's just passed. You can't grab it, and so the and so impermanence means that everything is always in flux. And the mistake I think that we make is that we make the mistake of thinking that things are permanent mm-hmm. and stable and unchanging. And it's almost that desire on our part as human beings for uh, a safety and security that we can ultimately trust that causes us to be so upset when impermanence strikes because somehow we don't think the world is impermanent we think the world should be permanent and unchanging and so that irrational belief that the world should be permanent is actually what makes things worse when things are found to be impermanent so that's um, I think that's kind of why it's so difficult for us to accept change and to accept that the world we thought we knew is going to be uh, changed forever. It's hard to accept that. And then our relationship with that world, we can have a feeling of the rug being pulled from under us. Even even me, like in that I feel I acknowledge to a little degree, because I, I certainly am still learning how to sort of live a more Buddhist philosophical life. I think it's an onward journey all the time. But even then, when it all first happened, it felt like, oh, whoa, you know, like as many times as I've had change in my life, this was really different because it was so, so many people doing it at once, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and this, of course, this happens in other countries, it, 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 you know, with, with different wars and things like that. So mm-hmm. why is it that it takes like these bigger shocks sometimes for us to even look at the idea that life is changing. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think of what we're going through right now is um, can be seen through a, a number of different lenses. And uh, the one of them is the five stages of grief that uh, Kubler-Ross described. You know, when a shock happens, human beings, no matter what country live, we live in, what our society is or anything, human beings tend to respond with uh, denial first, like this is not happening. I don't want this to happen. Then second, there's depression, like, oh my gosh, poor, poor me. This is awful. Anger, like nope, nobody asked my opinion about changing the world. And then we bargain saying, well, maybe if I do this, then bad things won't happen to me, but maybe if I do that and so forth. So we bargain. And then finally we have to accept that the world has changed. And I think that that because it's a human thing, we want things to be permanent and they're not. And that first, that first shock of change is what makes it so hard. And it, the other part that makes it difficult is not just the grief. I mean, we're grieving, but what we are grieving, we are grieving the world we thought we knew, the world we thought we had control over, the world we thought human beings were in charge of. Mm-hmm. The, and we're also grieving what we have looked at as our engine of happiness, which is freedom to uh, uh, to conquer our worlds, you know, the freedom mm-hmm. to go anywhere, to do anything, to have anything. That The idea that experience is something out there and happiness is something out there that we somehow deserve to go get. And so this external focus 
on you have to have a lot of stuff, you have to have a lot of friends. All this acquisitiveness is, I think, what was so upsetting for so many of us that our happiness has been so externally focused that grief is the is the result when we lose what we thought we had. One thing I considered was I I was thinking, you know, people were feeling isolated even though technically they can still connect. And to me, in a way, I feel like people were already isolating through virtual reality, but now because they have to, it's a different experience because I was sort of lamenting that, you know, I spend more time on Facebook with someone I could go see in five minutes. And we weren't doing that. We weren't hanging out anymore like we used to, even just once in a while dropping by and say, have a coffee together. And the virtual world was actually already um, surpassing the world. I'd walk around in Venice in the middle of the day and there's not that many people out there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah but now sure. that we now we kind of realize that it seems like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a different thing. Yeah, I think I think we have put a lot of faith in uh, in external sources of happiness and felt that we had to be busy, 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 and go, go, go. And that's how you have a full life. You have a full life by like literally filling up your day with stuff. And then we get cell phones and tablets that can connect us to news twenty four seven, which is probably not good for us in the long run, but we had a whole different set of things that made us happy or we thought were making us happy. And then, and then it all collapses. And then we say, gosh, I could actually call somebody. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and so that, that sort of human connection is what we ran to, whether we ran to it over, uh, you know, with a neighbor across the street, you know, from shouting from a social distance, you know, but I mean, you know, where people were actually like going on walks because we didn't have all of the stimulation that we were giving ourselves of going here, going there, doing this, doing that. And when that stimulation dies away, we begin to see, and especially when you have the existential threat of like maybe being dead because of a terrible, terrible disease that no one knows about and no one understands. I mean, so... The, the combination of having to shut down society and to have uh, this existential threat in front of us, I think, turned us inward in many ways to, to look inside ourselves and say, well, what really is important? And so I think that's why a lot of people who are spiritual people have said that they've been able to navigate the feelings of these five stages of grief at losing the life they thought they had. Mm-hmm. They've, they've been able to stabilize it through the inward practices like meditation and and prayer and so forth and so on. They've, they've naturally turned inside because the external stimulations that we thought were making us happy really weren't, and they're no longer there, so we have to find a way back to ourselves. It's true, and, and for me, it... Um especially initially after I got over the initial real shock, like it was a big shock, the whole thing. And I found I could really slow down my life. I could just piddle around the house. I ended up spending more time with my beautiful 19 and a half year old crow. I'd sit in the room with her and just sit with her and hang with her. And uh, as a result, she she did something really unusual this year. She, she's been trying to feed me and oh. it's never happened and I, I just, it's, it's as if she knows something's up because we're home all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really so surprising. Um, so, but, but what about, you know, we're, there's still people, I think, there's many of us that, that just weren't prepared with tools and with mm-hmm. how do you just start if you're not, you know, really already at least doing something. And then what would you suggest people do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that um, if people already have a tradition that they're following, if they have particular styles of meditation, if they do Tai Chi, if they do a martial art, or if they do um, a yoga or some other type of practice, then they have something to rely on. But I think the people who do not have a background in some type of spiritual discipline, they may feel a little bit uh, at a loss. And so I'm, I'm thinking that 
simple things like working with um, a breathing and working with your thoughts uh, might be uh, something to do to at least just slow down a bit. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, so like, for example, I learned a technique from a Tibetan doctor uh, who said it, when you're feeling stressed, stop for just a minute and work with your breath. And so the Tibetan doctor uh, said how you work with your breath when you're feeling stressed or maybe you're feeling a little panicky. He said what you can do is just recognize that you're in a panic, recognize that you're in a, uh, an, an unnatural state, and begin by taking a deep breath and breathing in for like a count of five, you know, breathing in three, four, five, and then you hold for a count of five and then breathe out, making sure that the breath goes out completely. And this breathing in for a count of five, holding for a count of five, and breathing out for a count of five, for many people, it actually allows their heart rate to go down just a little bit. And you can do this one time, two times, three times, five times. And if and when you do this, your thought process slows down just as your heart rate slows down. And then he taught a second exercise that a person could do, like it's a three-phase exercise. The first phase is just slowing down with the breath. And then once you slow down with the breath, you then take advantage of that slowdown and then imagine your, your body. You do a little, you close your eyes and do a little check a scan of your body from your head to your feet and then back up again. And as you scan with your attention through your head and neck and shoulders, you look for places where there's pain or where there's tension. And then once you have done this all the way to your feet, then scan back up to the top of your head. And then once you've gotten back up to the top of your head, you imagine the doctor said, you imagine that your body is like filled with water hmm. and that, um, that, the, um, that the water begins to drain out of uh, your toe, your, your large toe. And that, so it's almost like you're a bottle of, of water that is slowly emptying. And as the water empties, all of your tension leaves your body. You see, so that when by the time all of the quote unquote water leaves your body at the end, then your body is both refreshed from the breath and relaxed from the scan and the release of tension that comes with that imaginary water leaving you. And oh, I love that water idea. That's I've never yeah, heard that. that right? Yeah, that's he's, great. He says it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the stopper from a bathtub, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. So there's a little there's a little uh, joy in that you know as well. The, the but he did teach a third phase to this, which is where you start working with your thoughts because when people feel panic, what happens is that their thoughts are like racing, mm -hmm. right? They're moving, 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 and so um, if you slow down the breath, you slow down the thoughts, and then if you use the scan and then the imaginary water leaving your body, then that brings some relaxation because you're putting the idea of relaxation into it. And then finally, what do you do with all those thoughts mm -hmm. that you're having about this, that, and the other thing? He said, for that, he said, you imagine that in front of you in space, there's a gate. And he says, you can make it any kind of gate you want. He said, you could make it out of wood. You could make it out of stones. You could make it big. You could make it small. He <laughs> said, just use your imagination. And he said, and then he says, as you breathe out, he said, imagine that all of the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that you have, if you're worried, if you're fearful, if you're anxious, send all of those thoughts and feelings through the gate. And on the other side of the gate, they turn into golden light. And that this golden light then fills your room and, and helps you. And then it fills the house and then it fills the neighborhood and the city and the nation and the state and the world and the universe. And he says that golden light is the golden light of universal compassion. And so in a way, there's a theme there 
mm-hmm. in that we may think of our worries and fears as being something negative, but then we send it through the gate. We willingly send them through the gate and realize that if we strip away all that's negative about them, what's left is the energy of the thought itself, which we then imagine to be the golden light of universal compassion that then fills our home and the universe. So those are, those I, I are really like love that. And, and I think that especially because people are experiencing lots of more what we quote unquote call negative emotions, which I, I don't even agree with that mm-hmm. term, but that, that it can be overwhelming that using something that takes them somewhere instead of saying, don't think that, or you're bad for thinking that, or, you know, replace it with a different one. I think that seems more effective. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I, I think that you're, what you're getting at is really is true. And that is, I think that, um, that we, we don't like feeling bad. And what happens is when we have an emotion, we tend to run away from it or, or close down. And so it's, we either run, we either run away from it by stuffing it under down underneath something. And we put, we press it, we suppress it, or we blindly express it. And there's nothing in the middle. And I think this, this sort of technique offers uh, a, a view into what could be, could happen for us is that all of those things that are causing us pain and suffering, if we let them go, and they go freely through that imaginary gate and turn into the golden light of universal compassion, then we've done something good for ourselves and for the world. And you don't have to be a Buddhist believer to do this sort of imaginary exercise. This is something that can show us the potential that's inside every moment, whether it's a sad moment or a happy moment or whatever. You send all of those thoughts, feelings, and emotions out through the gate in the imagination exercise. So I think also there's a misperception sometimes that if let's say I send my fear through the imaginary gate, that it means that I won't deal with what I do need to deal with. And what I find is it keeps me calm so I can think properly so I can deal with things in a way that's more leveled. And mm-hmm. instead of saying, okay, now I'm just no longer afraid of anything. Cause <laughs> that isn't quite my experience anyway. It's just more now I can, now I'm calmer now I can look at my options and mm-hmm. because of that, hopefully make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, I, I really, I totally agree with what you're saying there because I think that this is why uh, using methodologies like this help us because again, when we feel something that's complex or painful or difficult, we tend to run away. And when we run away, we don't deal with it. Mm-hmm. And when we do this sort of exercise, we're saying, I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to deal with it this way. I'm not going to say it's bad to be mad. You know, I'm going to say, here I am, a human being, and this is how I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to actually see that it, at, in, at its base, the energy of this is, uh, is beneficial and can be beneficial. So I think it does buy us some time to see things differently and see a potential mm-hmm. in the moment. Right, buys us an opening. Now, what about, uh, let's say I start using this particular series of exercises, and what about how long it might take to really see the impact, to give people, I know it's probably different for different people, but but I think that's one of the other questions people have sometimes with any kind of spiritual practice is, what's a good idea of when I can see some progress? Mm-hmm. Or how can no, I tell I'm making? Well, how can I tell I'm making progress too? Mm-hmm. Boy, I I can I can really understand that because we are human and we want to see results and we want to see that things can change for us, and I think that it depends on the person. I totally agree with what you're saying, because in the in the years that I've been teaching meditation, I've taught Buddhist meditation and I've taught this relaxation exercise and I've taught compassion meditation, and I've taught mantra meditation. So all these types of Buddhist meditation, plus this Tibetan medicine uh, relaxation exercise, what I've noticed is that everybody has a different, I'm going to call it karmic makeup. You know, they're coming from different places, literally. um, and, And they take to different disciplines, 
Some people won't like that imagination exercise. They'll like the breathing part of it, but they won't like sending their thoughts through the gate, you know. But the breathing is, is like a human thing. That'll slow just about everybody down. And you will probably see a result from the breathing from that. Uh, some people call it square breathing. Hmm. You know, breathe in for five, hold for five, and uh, breathe out for five. Um, that type of breathing, you'll notice a difference from that right away. But I think that the best way to uh, approach this is to approach these exercises by doing them for brief periods of time. You don't try to do them for lengthy periods of time, because if you do, then you'll lose the thread of what you're doing. You'll lose your attention to what you're doing, and then you won't be able to complete it. Mm -hmm. So it's better to do these exercises uh, briefly, a few minutes for each one. And then, oh, and but, but do it every day and every day and every day. And then you'll begin to notice a difference. But it will take days, weeks, and even months. Um, my teacher, uh, Kempo Carter Rinpoche, used to say that the problem with us is that we expect quick results. And he used a Tibetan uh, joke. He said, you know, you, you, guys are, you guys are so impatient for results. He said, you're like the uh, impatient farmer. And we're, I'm, we're like, what's the impatient farmer? And apparently it's a folk tale about a farmer who was so impatient. How impatient was he? He was so impatient that he would bury the seed in the ground, tamp it down, and then he would pour water on it. And then he'd like, wait. And five minutes later, he would dig it up to see if it had grown in. And, you know, so, of course, the, the joke is that a seed won't grow if you keep digging it up. But, um, but he said, so what we have to do is we have to learn to meditate, learn our meditation properly from somebody who knows what they're doing. And then we have to go back to that person when we have questions or things don't go well and get, get tips and tricks and, how, and adjustments but then to do a short bit of meditation every single day, because then he said it will still take days, weeks, months, and so on to see improvement. But he said it is better to look back after a few weeks or a few months than it is to look back after a few days. He said because you will, if you do it daily, he said you will see an improvement over weeks and months. So I think he says you have to like look at the long, take the long view as to what you are before you start meditating. And before, what would you, what were you like a year ago before you started meditating? What were you like two years ago before you started meditating? And then see where the improvement is. When I was uh, first practicing in my 20s and I, I did do more, I had more time. <laughs> so I would do like, you know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. And I was, you know, doing some of the, the practices we all do in the beginning. And um, when I, I had a boyfriend at the time who was very, he wasn't into Buddhism, but he's very open to it. And he would often comment if I didn't do my practice, he would notice it. <laughs> and I thought that was, I didn't, I didn't notice anything, which was interesting. I didn't think I would. So if I, I said, oh, I have to go do my practice, you go, yeah, go do your practice. <laughs> it's like, not in that way. But I was really, I was really amazed that he noticed something in me. And again, mm -hmm. maybe I've been doing it a lot, at least a little bit of time. Maybe when I met him, I've sure. been doing it for a year and a half or so fairly disciplined. And um, so I, I found it interesting how sometimes other people might comment on something you're not even aware that you're doing mm -hmm. differently that because you, you yeah. know, you're with yourself so much, you, you take certain things for granted, or you don't quite know how you're coming across to people sometimes. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's so true. I mean, there's a, there's a, um, a, a Tibetan, uh, the compassion meditation handbook, uh, it's called the great path of awakening. Uh, and in that, um, uh, meditation handbook, it says, your, your friends will notice the differences in your behavior and they will like those differences in your behavior, but don't let that fool you into thinking you don't need to keep working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, don't let that fool you. He said, they may take joy in the change, certain changes in your behavior, but you know what's in hidden deep in your mind and you know where you still need to improve. And Now, now one um, thing I remember, I think it was Kempo Rinpoche somewhere said that 
it took 15 years to really deeply change the mind. Like, I mean, that somehow stuck in my mind. Someone said, and I got the idea that it just took a long, long time to truly change and shift on a very profound level. And maybe because it was sort of, I heard that first off, I thought, okay, it's going to take a while. And I am definitely not a patient person. I mean, I'm not, (laughs) not, that's not one of my strengths. And my husband's very patient and he can really, you know, be quite patient, but it did help hearing that early on that, Hey, don't Mm -hmm. worry if you're not making any, you know, immediate progress. This is just the way it is. (laughs) I think setting expectations is incredibly important. And, um, and because I do think we are, we are, uh, we do like results and we do get impatient. And I think that because here's the thing that part of the reason that we're like this is because, um, uh, the Buddha was, it was very smart when he was talking about his four noble truths, you know, suffering's part of life. Suffering has a cause, suffering has a solution, and there's a path in that second of the four noble truths where he's talking about the cause of suffering he says, what causes so much of our suffering is grasping, grasping, you know, including grasping after results, right? So mm. we're grasping after something. We want something, you know, we want it so badly. And and because sometimes when we want something so badly and we hold on so tightly, we actually push it away from ourselves. And so I'm thinking that this grasping can actually also it's not going to work for us. Grasping is not going to work for us in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, it doesn't work with us with our friends. It doesn't work with us with our job. And selfishness and grasping, they don't help us in any of those areas. And then what happens? We become spiritual practitioners and we take our grasping into spiritual practice with us and think, I should be getting enlightened like in five minutes. And you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we can take this sort of um, it is kind of a an unfortunate mistaken attitude even toward our spiritual practice. And I think we have to set our expectations in such a way that we we realize we're in this for the long haul and we're here until change can happen and we're going to stick with it until we can see that change within ourselves. And I think that if we have, I, I'm really glad that he said that to you because I think that giving people the idea that they're going to get quick results, then when they don't get those quick results, then they get disappointed and they think there's something wrong with the path or worse yet, there's something wrong with them. When really it's just their expectations need to be adjusted. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that's perfect. I totally agree. And yeah, having, I think that um, people put sort of, uh, a little bit of pressure or sometimes a huge amount of pressure on even how they do their practices. And, oh, today I was really, you know, out of it. And and what I find is, in, and I've learned this the hard way, is that whatever I can do that day is what I can do. If, mm-hmm. if that whole time I was distracted, I still tried, you know, mm-hmm. and it all matters. It's like you show up the best that you can in that day. Maybe you didn't sleep all night. You know, maybe that's just where your, your head's at. Yeah, maybe you were reacting to your neighbor again. So uh, it, it's, I've learned to accept that that is part of the process. There is no perfect practice, <laughs> you know? Yeah, a friend of mine uh, studied um, uh, meditation with the, uh, the forest monks uh, who lived in West Virginia. And, uh, you know, they're very austere, you know, but, but they really believe in meditation, meditation, meditation. And, uh, and one of the monks said to him, gosh, he said, you guys tend to judge your meditation so much. You know, it has to be like perfect or something. He said, when, did, when are you going to get it through your head that a good meditation is when you actually did? <laughs> Instead of waiting until your mind is perfect and then meditate, a good meditation is the one you do right now. You know, it's like, that's a good meditation. Even if you're in a bad mood when you sit down, mm-hmm. you're there for you. You're showing up for yourself. And yeah, it counts. You know, you're like in your own corner. You're you're like, yes, I you can do it. <laughs> and I think you can apply these principles to the possible changes in the world in terms of mm-hmm. what's next. Uh, my I am particularly concerned personally with because of the um, the reform that we want in the police and and uh, we want real change 
for the abuses and racism and we want it to last. And I am concerned that there's often with any kind of activism, even though this is a huge amount, that there's this excitement and appearance of progress and then it just kind of plummets, you know. And I want I, I want this to be a period where we really do wake up and and want to, you know, not everyone's going to, you, we, we can't dictate how people live in their minds, but we mm-hmm. can really limit the harm they can do to other people. That's something we can do as a society and we've done it in other ways. Mm-hmm. So like, like I, I know we're not going to eliminate racism from every person's mind because how we can't even get people to wear masks. So, you know, but, but we can limit and we can say, we don't as a society tolerate this behavior. And these are, these are what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do in a firm manner and a consistent manner. So my my concern Mm -hmm. is, you know, because of, um, you know, thinking about these principles and ideas, you know, how do we apply this going forward Mm to mm-hmm. enact more fairness and justice, particularly uh, I'd also like to see with the, with the Native Americans who also have so so much abuse mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. other groups that have like been marginalized will also come hopefully benefit from all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I, I recently I was um, uh, doing one of the things that people have been doing since, uh, since uh, people were at stay, under stay-at-home orders and that is uh, watching television. And, um, and I, I saw a program um, uh, about, uh, uh, about famous people who received letters. The na- it's on Apple TV Plus. It's called Dear. And, and these, these life-changing letters to famous people whose lives changed the lives of others. Hmm. And Gloria Steinem was one of the people who was interviewed. And her work in women's rights and um, in equal rights and so forth was discussed. And she said something very, um, very important. And I'm sure she said it many, many times. And she says that when human beings can tap into a shared experience, he, she said that is when like the world cracks open, mm. you know, the, the a situation will crack open when, when you, when, human beings on opposite sides of something tap into a shared experience. And, and so I think that what has caused the moment we're in now is that people have tapped into the shared experience of seeing injustice baldly, you know, uh, naked injustice. They, you know, there was no, no question about the injustice that was done. In the in the uh, killing of George Floyd, everybody saw it, and everybody felt it, and I think that that shared experience of seeing that kind of injustice and knowing that one oneself does not want to be subjected to that kind of injustice, I think it started to crack things open because we had all been removed from our comfort zones. Mm-hmm. We have been removed from all of the things that we use to hide from injustice. Oh, oh, you know, TV programs, even you know, television, theater, music, plays. You know, we we do we have all of these entertainments and all of these things that we think fill our life with meaning. You know, sports and heaven knows what. And so we we're so outwardly distracted, and suddenly we have none of that. Suddenly we go from sixty to zero, mm-hmm. and like. In like 24 hours. I mean, you know, like for me, it was like March, March 11th, you know, and it's like the governor shut down the state and it's like, dang. Right. So, so um, I think that when people was, were removed from the things that they used to hide from injustice, they saw it and they couldn't unsee it. And I think that that's what's different about this moment. And I think that they have to continue to tap into the shared experience, not of being outraged about injustice, but the shared experience of of trying to restore fairness to life. And I think that if they can tap into that shared experience of bringing fairness to all aspects of life and doing away with bullying in all of its forms, because that's really the subtext of everything that's going on. I mean, we look at popular culture and literature. Every television program, every movie, 
many of them turn on the unfairness of something where a powerful person is putting a person uh, under, um, is, is using that power to pin somebody to the floor. And, and we want justice for the guy who's been pinned to the floor. And so now, and so that's often what happens in films, television, novels, and so forth, is that the person who is abusing power then is overthrown. And, and as a result, that, that's kind of a shared experience. We want to see something happen. And I, I just keep thinking, a generation after generation, we may not get rid of racism because it's hardwired into some people's psyche and what, what can we do? But by the same token, we can at least try to bring fairness back into the situation and being able to watch your mind and what through meditation, because when you meditate, you can watch your mind and you can actually see the moment when prejudice blossoms from you. Mm -hmm. You can actually see it. And then it kind of freaks you out a little bit because then you see I'm just as bad as these other people that I have, have racist thoughts or I have prejudicial thoughts. I'm judging that I'm better than that other person. So I could use my power against that person if I so choose. I mean, there's so many ways that we can actually see ourselves and see different ways to act. Anyhow, so that's kind of my 88 cents worth on it. Well, I really like that idea of the shared experience. And one of the things, maybe people have talked about this, but we also all witnessed a murder and yeah. And right. we know it. Yeah. And that's really traumatic. I mean, it, it's it's nobody wants to witness, unless I guess you're a serial killer and they're exception because of the way they're wired. But mm -hmm. that idea that there's there's all these layers. One of the things that in the conversations around all of this where people react to each other, I think people forget sometimes people have their personal relationship to their their own inner demons. So anger particularly. Um, mm -hmm. There are many people that come out of abused families that can't handle any kind of anger at all because mm -hmm. they were, it wasn't handled well in their family. And so there are all these, they're the personal and the societal layers we have to kind of sort through. And sometimes I, I wish that people would not just think that someone said this for this reason without knowing that person. You don't know their story. And maybe they're right. Maybe this person said it for that reason, or maybe they're reacting. And um, so that, that whole, I, I think one of the benefits of going back to the exercises and the breathing, and if we can pause sometimes before we even put one reaction on our Facebook page so that we minimize mm -hmm. the damage that obviously we're, we're already going through enough trauma as a group right, yeah. from the real, the real trauma, let's focus on the real traumas and then our personal traumas we do have to account for separately and maybe deal with them away from other people mm -hmm. until we, you know, feel like, okay, that's my own issues that I'm working with separate that I'm just getting re-stimulated by. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at the practice of meditation, uh, you know, just in general, what meditation does is it slows down that, that reaction. Because if you're doing breath awareness meditation, let's use that as an example. In breath awareness meditation, um, uh, as opposed to the, the deep breathing relaxation exercise, you just you start by taking one deep breath in, in quiet uh, breath awareness meditation. You start by taking one deep breath, and then you let it out. But then you let your breath come and go naturally and place your attention on the breath as it comes in, and you place your attention on the breath as it comes out. And then what you'll get when you do that is you'll get this short period of attention to the breath, and then you'll get this longer period of wandering and thinking about something that happened yesterday, or maybe you're going to think about something that's happening tomorrow. But that distraction, then if you notice it and you label it thinking, you drop it, and then you return your attention to the breath for a fresh start. That method of meditation is great because what it does is it cuts the continuity of the thought that you just had. Let's, so you're watching the breath and watching the breath and watching the breath. And then suddenly you think about something that happened yesterday and your, your attention is taken away from the breath and then you're like reborn in the world of that thought. Oh, that happened and I'm mad about that and this. And, but then the moment that you realize, oh, hey, I'm meditating. I think I'm not going to think that anymore. And you label it, you drop it, and then you return. What you've done in that instant is something incredibly powerful. You made a choice about what you were going to think about. And you took a moment to stop. 
and my friends in 12 step, you know, uh, in uh, the 12 the step recovery of Alcoholics Anonymous and so forth, they have a phrase that they use and it's the, the word halt. And each letter stands for a, a, a mind state that you got to watch out for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And hungry, <laughs> angry, lonely, tired. It's, I, I call it 12 step wisdom. These guys are amazing. So when you're feeling hungry or angry or lonely or tired, you've got to stop and then take a breath and then make a decision about whether you're going to post that thing or whether you're going to say that thing. And I feel that meditation gives people that spaciousness, that interior spaciousness to know that they don't have to think that next thought. Does that make sense? You know, I think that's, I feel that that's the the value of meditating is that it gives you that extra space between thoughts. And then you can make a different, you can make a, a, a different decision about where you want to go with something. Anyway, that slows you down. It does. I, I love the halt, especially the hungry and the tired one. I get, I really have to watch those two. The angry one I already know because it's so obvious to me that when I'm angry, but the other ones I sometimes forget, you know, that, okay, you're, you're really tired today, Krista, so let's slow it all down. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, what is a Tibetan Buddhist view on uh, outside intrusion of thoughts? Because so in the Western tradition, occult tradition, they have belief that uh, people more stronger than you can actually intrude into your mind. And I actually feel personally that there's some truth in that, you know, and of course we can look at the concept of brainwashing where it's deliberately done, but I've never, I've never really known what is, does Tibetan Buddhism think that's possible? And if so, is just doing meditation enough to work with that? Mm -hmm. I, I, I I tell you what, we have not, uh, my teachers and I have not spoken about that specific term and that specific uh, capacity or capability. But let's think about it. Let, let's talk sideways about it for a second and then see if we can kind of wander into the, an answer for you. Uh, they have not spoken to me specifically, but they have been asked uh, uh, in the past. Some of my teachers have been asked about what to do with people who attempt to harm you from uh, a psychic point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, psychic harm and this sort of thing. And he said, well, first of all, he said, um, how to protect yourself from psychic harm. And he said, well, first of all, he said, you have to, the person actually has to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the first thing. So not a lot of people have that capacity. First thing. Second thing, he said, you have to believe that they have the power to do it. And then he said, third thing, he said, there has to be negative feeling between you. Hmm. He said, your anger uh, toward that person or your resentment toward them or your you know, hatred or whatever toward that person is actually the avenue that their harm comes to you, that allows their harm to come to you. So he said that uh, what happens is, is that when we are really angry, it upsets our inner being. It upsets our, you know, our energetic body, if you want to go that direction, right? It upsets our, our inner energy. It, it causes imbalances. And then other people can exploit those if they have those kinds of powers. And if we then uh, try to counteract, you know, if we, if, we, if we aim hatred in their direction, it just makes things worse. So basically, there is a story about um, the great uh, Tibetan saint, Milarepa, and uh, and so he was the illustration of what you do in order to protect yourself. Uh, he said, uh, Milarepa told the story that he was like uh, having a very nice, he came home one day and there were demons all over his house. They were like imps. They were jumping around. They were banging the pots and pans and they were pouring out his food. And, you know, it was, it was a mess. And so uh, Milarepa uh, was trying to teach them Dharma. That didn't work. Uh, they just laughed at him. Uh, and so forth and so on. Well, finally, he he decides that the only thing he can do is sit in the middle of his floor and meditate on love and compassion for every single one of the demons. He he thinks of them with love, and they all 
vamoose. They all leave instantly, except for one big, ugly demon. And so Milarepa says, oh, this guy's really going to be a hard case. So Milarepa goes and he takes the jaws of this giant demon and he opens the jaws of the demon and he puts his head inside the jaws of the giant demon and said, you want a bite? And the demon couldn't believe that, that Milarepa was going to give up his life to this demon and he vanished. So what Kemperimbache, this was Kemperimbache giving this answer, he said the, the way to, to, to take care of yourself he says, is to have love, to develop love and compassion for everyone, including the people who uh, wish you harm. And this is why uh, he said, because when you have love, there's no way for them to hurt you. It's a protection. If you have love, if, yeah, if you have love for them, even if it's something that you're working on and it's a work in progress and it's not perfect love, if we train ourselves to have love, even for those who we perceive of as harming, that that actually uh, prevents a lot of harm from coming to us. So I don't know if that is helpful or not, but it's what I remember. I'm not exactly sure about the whole idea of people putting thoughts into your mind. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not well read on that. No, so. and, and it was just an, a, <laughs> an open-ended question. I was just curious about, you know, because it's, it's, I would say it's sort of accepted in, in certain traditions, I think, that that's possible. But you're, you're correct, in, or they would agree that it's not that easy to do. It's not like mm-hmm. everybody can do, do this, you know. So because of the business that Michael are in, it's sort of like, you know, people coming saying, am I cursed, am I cursed? And, you know, honestly, oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. largely yeah. 99.9% no. <laughs> so um, well, so it's, it's similar it, to that idea that, you know, so I would agree with that. But I, I, I think that um, the reason I think that it, there's some legit, legitimate thought to it is, is, is the concept of advertising, how repetition mm-hmm. of the same oh, thing over yeah. and over and over again. Now, if I'm doing what Kemper Rinpoche suggested and I'm more in charge of myself, I can know that that's what's happening. Right. But if we're, let's say we're early on the, the, the path of working with ourselves and we're not quite aware of that, then we are susceptible to at least being influenced, I would say. Yeah. I think that's really true, and I think that um, this actually keys into something you were talking about earlier, which is the whole idea of uh, working toward justice, because uh, a lot of what's happened to us, because you act, you asked way back near the beginning of the interview, uh, This see, this is what I get. I was a professional interviewer for 15 years. I was a newspaper reporter. That's right. So uh, <laughs> that, was my, that was my job before I started uh, teaching Buddhism. Anyway, but... Um, but way, way back, you were kind of asking, well, like, what is it that has kept us apart as human beings? What's, what's broken us apart as a society? And a lot of it is uh, manipulation through uh, propaganda and, uh, and conspiracy theory and, uh, and so forth and so on. So what's happened is, is that because we've been able to feed our curiosity through the internet and we have been able to find through the internet people who have like minds with us that's been great but it also has led to something that somebody called like you're in a silo or you're in an echo chamber and inside that echo chamber of your thoughts and other people who agree with you then you can stay and do anything and feel justified I hate these people, or I hate those people, or those people are trying to take over the world, or those people are trying to take over the world. We have to hate, we have to fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and all of this placing us in these silos, you know what I'm saying? It's like, people say that it's like, whether you're talking about people who are trying to get Americans to hate each other. I have a friend who, who, very today, a friend on Facebook said, I am, I'm deleting Facebook from my phone. I'm tired of being manipulated to hate other people. Yeah. And it's like, wow, what an act of, of bravery and freedom, you know? Um, there's, and, and there's a lot that, of truth in that for sure. And there's also when you go, uh, I think it's called confirmation bias. When you go to search on Google, 
it knows mm-hmm. what you've searched in the past. And people right. consider what they consider. Now, you were a journalist and I was a, an amateur journalist and I like to research. <laughs> what they consider research these days is preposterous. I mean, it's it's not research. It's just finding the views that back your view up and finding a right. bunch of them. So they'll sometimes they'll, they'll send you like five videos from different sources, which we haven't even vetted those sources. And just because it says it's a newspaper or this or um, so to me, uh, that that's also a little disturbing trend. I know we're kind of getting off the topic here a little bit. It all fits in. (laughs) Actually, actually, I actually think that this actually was where the conversation started. And that's why I'm kind of circling back to it is because human beings have this amazing mind. We have an amazing mind and it has the capacity to experience itself. And that's what in Buddhism we call Buddhahood. Mm. And it, you know, the idea that mind can experience itself fully and completely and without bias, without any kind of confusion. And and in order, but in order to do that, we have to overcome all of our prejudices. We have to overcome all of our graspings and clingings, being right, you know, uh, being in power, being this, being that. We have to overcome all of those things that have kept us from recognizing, tapping into that shared experience of being human. Mm-hmm. And this is where meditation allows us to be human, be ourselves on our meditation seat and see how we get confused. And then when we see how we get confused, we can see how other people get confused and confirmation bias, being in a silo of echo chamber of, of beliefs and then conspiracy feeding ourselves with conspiracy theory. Is it any wonder we have psychic indigestion? <laughs> it, I mean, is it right? It's, it's no wonder because we're, we're, we're doing this and to ourselves when we could actually be doing the opposite. Yeah. Milarepa in the cave with the demons. What does he do? He meditates on love. I love Milarepa. And, yeah, I know. It's just Milarepa is just like, oh man, it's just, uh, I have a friend who's a Milarepa scholar and I would like to just sit down with him someday and then just talk Milarepa, you know, that yeah, would be sure. like super fun. Well, we're getting a little close to the end and I wanted to uh, have sure. a couple of um, things mentioned. One that we have some downloads of is the exercises we went over earlier. Mm-hmm. We have a link in our uh, description of the show for people. It's free. And then yeah. also how to contact you. Uh, there's your lamakathy.net, with Kathy with a K. You're also on Facebook and you have a YouTube uh, channel. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. It's uh, the, the YouTube channel I have too. Uh, one of them is my, where I exercise all of my uh, propensities for loving music and theater. But there is a lot, but there is another one called Lama Kathy Wesley. And that that's where the 12 videos that I have made uh, for... Uh, teaching videos that I've made. I have one uh, about how to do a home retreat during pandemic, and I, I've I've ri- I've done one about um, how to meditate. I you know I'm like making friends with your meditation. That's another one. So yeah, those are you can find those under Lama Kathy on on uh, on YouTube. And then I also wanted to have a shout out uh, for the Columbus KTC Building Fund this time. I know that you're still trying yeah. to raise the funds for your building that was destroyed by an arsonist in, uh, was it 2016? So mm-hmm. that if people are interested, you can make a donation at columbusktc.org. And we'll put the, I'll put the link, in, at least in the comments under the show too. It's a great cause. And I know I, I've, I've meant to mention in the past, but I, I always run out of time, it seems like. So I wanted to make sure that we got a chance to say something about that. I I really, really appreciate it because um, uh, the, we we are getting closer and closer and closer. I think we actually do think we're going to be able to turn over dirt this year and build a a Buddhist temple in downtown Columbus. I mean, it's like, it's mind boggling. Oh, that's so, that's fantastic. That's going to be wonderful. Yes. It sounded like you were making some progress when I looked on the page a couple years ago. So, so I think we're, we have just a minute left. Is there any sort of last little word of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? Yeah, I, I really do think that um, we can tap into our humanity through the practice of spirituality, no matter what we, um, no matter which spiritual path we follow. 
if we look at the fact that all human beings want the same thing, which is we all want to be secure and happy, and we all appreciate fairness and goodness, and that we want to be that and to exemplify that for ourselves and for others and to really think about how much other people are suffering and send them love. And so I'm thinking that uh, even if all we can do is sit on our meditation seat and mentally extend love to um, the people we feel close to as well as the people we're in conflict with, if we can do that, there's a little, one of the exercises I'm sharing is the Dalai Lama uh, expressed this, that if we just spent 10 minutes every day sharing and cherishing others and sending love to others and feeling gratitude for others that we would gradually uh, find the the flaws in our anger and discard them our anger and try to help others so that's the idea just mentally extend love to everyone if you can every day oh that's wonderful that's a great way to close the show on and, and thank you again for coming on Lama Kathy we really enjoyed having you Oh, it was it was a delight to talk to you. And, uh, you know, anytime I, I really do enjoy talking about these things. So and I hope that uh, I wish you a great deal of, of, of good fortune in the work that you're doing to connect people to spirituality. So thanks for that. Oh, you're most welcome. And, and thank you, everyone, for watching. As always, join me next week as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.